Welcome to Seekonk Speedway's 75 Seasons of Speed podcast. This is a walk back in time with a few of our favorites celebrating the history of racing at Seekonk Speedway. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode celebrating 75 years at Seekonk Speedway. We're talking to different legends, personalities, drivers, anyone who uh, really made an impact here at the Seekonk Speedway over the course of its 75 year history and today very special guest on the line joining myself Doug Sheehan and Kevin Boucher is six-time champion Vinny Anarumo. Vinny how you doing? Good how are you doing? Doing wonderful. Vinny let's uh jump into the Wayback Machine and we're trying to get a feel from all the folks that we're interviewing is your first time at Seekonk Speedway um, as we celebrate our 75th anniversary what do you remember about your first time, your first couple of times going there? What's your earliest memory? Uh, I went when I was in high school. I used to go up there and watch watch the races. And my wife's brother raced, and that got me into racing. What got you behind the wheel? What um, what turned the the thought process on getting behind the wheel of a race car? Uh, I I built a race car. And I put different drivers in it. I had a couple of different drivers in it. And they'd get in accidents and smack it up, and I'd have to put it together. And I decided if I'm going to be putting it together, I'm going to be smacking it up. Take us through those first laps. Do you remember the first time you drove out there on your own getting ready for your first race? Oh, yeah. I thought I was flying. And then everybody went by me. <laughs> <laughs> How you know? If I'm not mistaken, you started out in the modifieds. Is that correct? No, I shot it in the cadet division. Okay, and how and was how was the competition back then? Back then, you were really happy to qualify for the feature. There were so many cars that would show up. If you qualified for the feature, that was like a win. You remember your first win? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I was in the cadet division. Uh, I think 1971, 1972. 1971, I believe it was, and that was my first year of real driving, and then the following year, I won the championship in the cadet division. So how big and of, a, then, how big of a, 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 an addiction did that draw to you? Oh, racing gets in your blood and never gets out. I'm 70 years old, it's still in my blood. Still get the itch to get behind the wheel? Oh yeah, car sitting in the garage, you never know. <laughs> Now, you had chased a lot of races over the years at a lot of different racetracks. What was it about Seekonk that kept drawing you back? Seekonk is a, a unique track. You know, not everybody can come down and drive a Seekonk Speedway. You had a lot of drivers that came in there, good drivers that come in there, could never do anything. And Once you got the feel of Seekonk Speedway, you, you just did good. Now, I remember a story. Of and this happens to be the day you got your infamous nickname, if I'm not mistaken. But a, a race you ran second to. Um, now, if I remember correctly, you had once told me that you felt that any time you could get by, and lead that race. But you learned a lot more following. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was Richie Evans. Yes, it was. Yeah, I learned a lot that day, and. Uh... I learned a lot in how you can defensive drive, too, because I I definitely had a better car than him, but he knew how to use lap cars so you couldn't go by him. 
And I pounded on his rear bumper a few times, not to spin him out, just to try and rattle him a little bit. But he's a nine-time champion. He, he never got rattled. <laughs> <laughs> was it frustrating to, to finish second that day, or was it more of a a learning experience? It was definitely an honor to finish second to him. But do you want to win? Oh, yes, you definitely want to win. Think back over your career, um, and a lot of it, the, your time was spent at Seacock, running the Modifieds, running the Cadets, and most recently the Pro Stocks over the uh, the end of your regular career. When you think back on some of the competitors you ran against, and you ran against the best in the Northeast in both classes, what were some of the highlights on that? Well, I, I, I took a year off Seacock, and we went to Stafford. And we ran Stafford every Friday night, and you ran against Ronnie Bouchard, Richie Evans, Jerry Cook, Bugsy Stevens. I mean, to finish in the top ten, you know, it was a hell of a night uh, for a small guy like me because we didn't have the money to have the big motors that them guys had. Uh, but I got rookie of the year up at Stafford. Uh, my first race at Stafford Springs, I went up there for the Spring Sizzler. I qualified last position. And I can remember being in the infield, and Leo Clary says, where are you starting? I said, I'm starting last. He says, don't talk like that. There's 30 cars that went home. And yeah, you're looking at it that way, you know. And I started last, and on about the 60th lap, something like that, I was running fifth. And the resistor burnt out. We were turning faster time than Maine and Trier was, and he won the race. <laughs> That's one race that, you know, you wish you could have back. Yep. Now, who was probably the toughest driver you ever raced against? Leo Clary. You didn't even hesitate on that. D didn't even have to hesitate, <laughs> no. <laughs> what, was it, what was it about him that made it tough? Leo Clary could spin you out, put you in the infield, and you think, you think he didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely didn't get, never gave nobody an inch. Who was, who was uh, probably your favorite driver to race against, knowing that you didn't have to worry? Uh, Bugsy. Do you have any yeah. big memorable battles you had with Bugsy that come to mind? No, just you know, competing against him. You know, he was, he was always ahead of me. You know, he always had a better equipment than me, but we always had fun. Talk about the fans at Seacock. You always had a big following here throughout your career. Uh, what was it about the fans here? Well, I'm a local guy. I probably live about three miles from Seacon Speedway. And, and every Saturday night, everybody from the marina, the boats where I kept my boat, we all go where I work, my customers. I had a big big bunch of people that went every, every week. When you look back on uh, your racing career at Seaconk, what is the biggest, your favorite memory that comes to mind? Mrs. Vendetti coming to victory lane. She always was a big fan. Oh, yeah. Now you, that was my, and that was my stepmother. You raced uh, the pro Modifieds for a lot of years and, and struggled to get that first win. When the MRS finally came around and you started racing with them, you finally got that first Modified win. Was that more yeah. of a relief, or was that more of, what was it? When, when I ran the Modifieds back in the 80s, I did not have the money. I shouldn't have been in it. 
uh, I was, you know, a 10th place car. And then we went to the Pro Sox, and I had Francis Palm as a sponsor. And I talked him into building a modified because I wanted that modified win. And we had a good car. We built a good car, not a junk car. And that first year, there was four races at Seacon Speedway in the modifieds. I won three of them and finished second in the other one. So that was really a, a really a pat on my back. I was really happy. What? I wanted to win that fourth one, though. <laughs> <laughs> now, was it tougher racing in the modifieds against those drivers versus the pro stocks, or was it tougher in the pro stocks because of the field that we used to have? The pro stocks was always a tougher field. Uh, the modified racing series was all, when I first started, it was all older people. They didn't slam and bang you. It was, it was good racing. The pro stocks, it seems like once you learn how to drive Seekonk Speedway and you want to drive the outside of the racetrack, everybody wants to go inside. So if you want to go inside, I'll go outside. So it was a, you know, it was a lot of fun. Me and Eddie St. Angelo teamed up one year, and I had two cars. And Eddie drove my spare car, and we went up there, and we kicked, kicked butts with both cars. Oh, I remember that. How? We, had Kenny, we had Kenny Schrader come down. He drove my spare car. He won. I was, I was just going to ask you, how big of a thrill was that to have Kenny Schrader drive your car? Oh, there's a man that never forgets you. I mean, last year, he come to Seekonk Speedway. He come over to see me. Uh, he told me, he says, you know, he says, I didn't want to come here. And you didn't want to come here? He says, no, this is one of the tracks that I ran once and I won once, so I didn't want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he, he never, and that's something that Boston Louie, when that deal got put together, Boston Louie was part of it. And he says, the man will never forget you. He drives your car, he'll never forget you. And he don't. Now, in your late, later in your career, you got to race against Todd, the Pro Stocks. How... How much of a highlight was that for you? Oh, that was that was excellent running against your son. It definitely was. Uh, you know, we we both built the same cars in the same garage, basically the same same everything. So when we went out on the racetrack, there was two duplicate cars. Was it tougher you know, racing against him versus when you raced against Eddie? Was it easier or was it just different? Yeah, it was different. You know, you didn't rough him up. Todd. You didn't go out there and rough them up. You went out there and race them. Uh, other people who, there's ways of passing at Seacon Speedway. You get on the outside of somebody and you crowd them down so he can't get on the gas pedal early. And you get to run off the corner. Or you don't do that with your sons. You give them a little more room. Looking, looking back over your career, this year you were inducted into the uh, New England Auto Races Hall of Fame. How much of the pride that you had on that day carried from the, your career at Seekonk? The funny part about that is I got a phone call, and they said, uh, congratulations. Congratulations for what? You were voted into the you know, New England Auto Hall of Fame. Are you talking to the right guy? You know, it, I never never thought of it. Never really realized, you know, you drive a race car, you go out there to race. You're not looking for things like that. And it was definitely a big honor. Do you think the career you had at Seacon had a big part to do with that? Oh, definitely. 
definitely at one point I was the only six six time champion. I mean, they caught me now, uh, but at one point I was the only six time champion. Do you, did you take a lot of pride in that, or was that just you went there to race and if you got the titles, you got the titles? No, we went out there. I wanted seven championships. I wanted I wanted a tie dealer and hot, and it just didn't work out. Well, there's still time. You still got the edge. We can. It's still time to put a car together for this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, I don't have to put a car together. There's one sitting in the garage and it's all done. There you go. <laughs> now you had a lot of interaction with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Vendetti, and you said how close you were to Mrs. Vendetti. Uh, yeah. How about Anthony? Um, how close were you to him, and what were the uh, interactions like with him? Anthony was a funny guy. He was a racer. He grew up racing. He understood racing. If you had a racing question, he understood what you were talking about. And he was a tough, tough nose, but he knew racing. And that was a big thing for him and why he made, did as good as he'd done, because he understood racing. Tell us about some of the off-track stories, something that uh, we're looking for tidbits that somebody like me or Doug may not know about. Uh whether it was a rivalry, whether it was uh, something fun, but behind the scenes where you had you, that sticks in your memory. Well, me, Ricky Martin, Freddie Estelle, for some reason, those three couldn't race together. We get, we get on the racetrack, and if we were side by side or something like that, one of us would hit the other, and it, you, you just you, for some reason, the three of us could not race on the racetrack together. I don't know why, how come. We're good friends, good friends, but on the racetrack we could not race together. I remember a couple of some a couple of those battles with you and Freddie, and sometimes they didn't end so pretty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, we talk, we're friends and everything, but on the racetrack it just was a different thing. I don't know why, how come, what for, but that's the way it was. Now, when you started racing, the track had a different configuration. Uh, changed it back in the late 70s. How different was it to drive the track from one configuration to the other? I think it was easier. I, I think it was easier. Before, you know, the straightaways were narrower, the corners were narrower, not as much banking. And like I said before, if you learn the outside of the racetrack, which I don't see the guys doing no more, and I don't understand why they can't make the cars work on the outside. Everybody wants the inside, so if everybody wants the inside, learn to take your car up to the outside. But they ain't doing that no more. I don't know why. How come? With the open competition races with the pro stocks, when you were coming around, they had the midweek shows, the Triple yep. Crown Series and everything. Was it... How much different was it on those shows versus the regular 100 lappers that they would have here? without the open competition style? Well, the open competition style, you only had, you had a lot of cars would come in for it, but you only had a couple drivers that knew how to drive the track. Uh, the 50, what's his name? Bobby Gahan. Bobby Gahan. He could come to Seacon Speedway and he could drive the track the way it's supposed to be driven. Uh, the 135. Uh, Pete Daka. Oh, Pete Van Docker. He come to Seekonk, he couldn't get around the racetrack. You know, it's just, it's just, you had to know the racetrack and the chip. There was one year there was four open shows at Seekonk Speedway. 
I won two of them. Eddie St. Angelo won the other two of my car. You know, the outside competition in my mind wasn't wasn't that hard because you only had two drivers that could come down and drive the racetrack. Did Did you often see guys who came in maybe in an open competition or somebody new to Seekonk? Was it Was it more often that they would just give up after trying a couple times and could have get the hang of it, or are there any drivers who really just tried to stick with it and you eventually saw that success when they you know learned how well, to run the track? Pete Van Docker come down and drove for Ronnie Pond for almost a whole year, and about three quarters of the way through the year, shook Ronnie's hand and says. Get somebody else. I'm all done. <laughs> now, you always, when it came to the to the handling and setting up the tires, you always seemed to be a little bit ahead of the curve for some of the other drivers. Uh, I remember uh, one driver came down for the DAV several years ago and really gave you a lot of praise on helping him out over the phone on getting the car set up for the for the race. Oh, we we always help everybody. We never lied to him. There was, there was quite a few people that would come down. They'd even bring their car to my shop, and we'd set it up. Uh, we, you know, we were, we were never a thick-headed guy that would would look down to somebody. When you traveled, did it, now did that help you when you traveled to the other tracks where you needed information on how to set up for that spe- specific speedway? Oh yeah, that helped. And also, when I first started racing, I got tied up with Tiny Levesque. Uh, probably one of the best chassis men you ever find in New England. And I learned so much from that man. It was just unbelievable. I mean, he would have the, the attitude that you worked on your race car in the garage. You set the car up, you went to the racetrack, and you didn't work on it because you did your work home. And that man would never let you, if it was time to pack wheel bearings this week, you packed the wheel bearings. You know, if it was time to check the clutch, you check the clutch. I mean, the man was on this game all the time, and he taught you what you had to do to be a racer. And how much of that is the difference between winning and finishing top ten? Well, that's, that's the people that work on their race cars two nights a week, you can go up to Seacon Speedway and watch them. They're finishing ninth and tenth. The guys that's working on their race cars six nights a week are finishing first and second. Now, with all, with all that time you spent on the race car over the years, you work in those four or five nights a week, racing up at Lee on a Friday night or Seekonk on a Saturday. Uh, you had a real good team around you. Uh, let's talk about them a little bit. Yeah, my team was with me for a long, long time. I had guys that really were dedicated. They'd be here every night working on the cars, and they stayed with me. And that's a big thing. You get new people, they don't know how to do this or how to do that. But when you get guys that's with you for a long, long time, they go in the garage. They know what they have to do. You don't have to tell them. And I'll tell you, I had a, I had, I had a real, real good crew. You couldn't ask for anything better. Well, on top of that, you had a lot of family support at home. Your son Todd racing in your later years. But you, your wife and daughter were at the track every week with you as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, my wife is the one who got me into racing. <laughs> now, you said your your brother in law raced. Who was your brother who is your brother in law? Uh Earl Tripp and Walter Tripp. They both raced. And that's when my wife used to go up there and watch them. And then I got we, me and Earl Tripp built a car and we had a couple of different drivers and 
I'm working on the towel all the time, and I says, you know, screw this. They're going to smack it up. I can smack it up. <laughs> so I ended up starting to drive myself. But it was fun. I, I wouldn't give it up for anything. We had a lot of good moments. Any regrets? No. None at all. None at all. So when you think back, you know, 75 years of Seekonk Speedway, what do you think of the, the evolution of the track, how it's come up until 2020? You don't want me to answer that, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> racing is funny and racetracks are funny, and you've got to have the right personnel in the right places to make everything go smooth. And I've always been one that a race driver is your employee. you got to take care of your employee. And it seems like they, the tracks are just getting away from that now. If you're a quarter of an inch, if you're an eighth of an inch low in chassis height, they keep two you in the qualifying heat. You know, when Smiley Waterman was the tech man there, if you were an eighth of an inch low in your chassis in the heat, he'd tell you, fix it for the future. If you're low in the future, I'm going to DQ you. He didn't DQ you in the qualifying heat. You know, they're just, they're just trying to push the rules a little bit too much. We're not Winston Cup. We don't have lasers. We don't have this. We don't have that. You know, it's just, it's, it's, how can I put it? My wife's screwing me my, my mind up here. <laughs> <laughs> it's always you the wife. You can't, you, you, we're not professionals. Seekonk Speedway, there's no professionals there. You know, and you can't hold the standards as tight as they do. Uh, that's that's my opinion in racing. I, I think they got away from a tech man that is there. You know, they're not probably going to like that when they hear that, but that's, that's my opinion. Well, Vinny, we want to thank you for joining us here today. It was awesome to... Uh Hear some stories from your past and your memories at Seekonk Speedway. And uh, we hope to talk to you again in the future. Okay, thank you for calling me. Thank you. Thank you, Vinny. Okay. I want to thank everyone for listening to another episode celebrating 75 years at Seekonk Speedway, taking a trip down memory lane with us. And we hope uh, you join us with our next episode. Thank you. Mm -hmm.